Welcome to another episode of the WBT, Craft Bearing Trees podcast. I'll be one of your hosts today, Adrian Bonnenberger, and I'm joined uh, by repeat guest co-host, Brian Kastner, the author of The Long Walk, All the Ways We Kill and Die, Disappointment River, and coming this April, Stampede, Gold Fever and Disaster in the Klondike, which I've read recently and is terrific. Can't wait for other people to read it. And a special guest, Will Mackin the author of Bring Out the Dog, a brilliant collection of short fiction exploring the experience of special operations in Afghanistan. Brian, Will, welcome. Thanks, Adrian. Good to be back. Good to be here. Now, as everyone knows who's listened to the podcast uh, recently, the, the premise of the podcast is uh, we talk to uh, a writer about uh, a book that they've written, but then also we all read a short story or a book together and kind of dig into that. A bit and Will suggested uh, The Sergeant by Donald Barthelm, um, whom I'm ashamed to admit I hadn't heard of before. And it is a deep shame because he's just a terrific author. Will, you want to talk more about the story and the author? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I can't remember how I first came across his work. I think it was there's a story um, called The School where, like, the premise behind it is that each pet that they bring into the classroom winds up dying. And um, anyway, I don't want to uh, spoil the surprise ending, but it's a great little like short story. It just seems like everything is in there. So that's what drew me to uh, Bartholomew. And then I, I forget when I, when I read The Sergeant, but probably the first time I read it, it didn't resonate with me as much because I was, I was a knucklehead for, I'd say, probably my entire career. And it, was, it wasn't until after I got out that I started reflecting on things, you know, just that that's how it works. The premise behind the sergeant is that he has this nightmare, basically. It starts out as a dream, but it turns to a nightmare re relatively quickly where he is back in the army. He's an old man, having already fought in the Korean War. Now he's out and somehow he winds up back in. And no matter what he does to try to convince people that he doesn't belong there, um, they, they just respond in typical military fashion, I'll say. It's the Army specifically, but Navy, I know, is the same way. It's just very rote and not, you know, you don't, <clears throat> the cliches in the military are true uh, for a reason. There, there is a lot of absurdity. There's a lot of, you know, not questioning things that just have to be done just get it done right and so the sergeant reflects that definitely and um one of the things i really like about this author is that he is very imaginative and he's very stylistic and so he doesn't just tell like a linear story it's kind of it's broken into bits and pieces and it takes a while for it to kind of sink in i think at least why those pieces are there you know in each phase of the story like he meets a different person a different personality that all of us i'm sure are familiar with in the army, like the chaplain, for example, you know, the goofball chaplain or the, the guy that's always trying to get by, like writing passes for his friends to get off base, like the IG that just sticks to the rules, you know, like this is the way it is, you know, the paper says this, I don't care if you're 50 years old, the paper says you're not, you know, 
anyway, it speaks to me, especially at my age. I'm um, 53 and I've been out now for like six years. And so it's a long enough time where I can, like most of my memories, like I, the, the good stuff I don't remember as much. I don't know if it's the same with you guys. It's like this things I regret that really come up a lot. And this type of recurring thing where it's like, I can't escape uh, is a very um, prominent part of my psyche. And like the, and the story is that's what it is, you know? And it's just so well captured, so uh, condensed. So, I mean, it just seems like he was talking directly to me, like a USB port right into my brain, you know? I don't, I don't know how you guys felt about it, but that's just, it just seems like the, with more time, it, it becomes more meaningful. Yes, I, I get that totally. I think Bartholomew benefits from multiple readings. Like you say, because it's not linear and it's almost circular, you can end not just this story, but many of his stories, you can end them and then start again on the first word. And like you actually just learn more and more about the situation the more you read it. I would say, I think you're in an interesting spot at six years or seven years out, like you're in a sweet spot. I know that when I was at that point, I had, that's about when I wrote The Long Walk, all the, the memories are fresh enough that you know all the details, but you have some a little bit of perspective to say, oh, now I finally know what this is about. Like now I'm at 13 years out. That's terrifying. And at 13 years out, it's more like I, I now worry about, like I'm, I'm losing some of the details. I'm losing some of the, like, hey, what did we used to call that thing? And, and how did the guys used to talk? And how did, like, how would we have had this discussion? Like, I have to go back and try to refresh it for myself. And so he would have, when would he have written this? Like you said, like, he's a Korean War vet. I, I wonder how far out he was when he wrote this. If it's it's almost like a memory jogging exercise, like you say, where everybody, everybody in their role, does, it is a cliche, but he just does them so well. Like like you said about the IG, I love this line where he says, I'm 42 and the IG says, not according to this. Yeah. Looking at the piece of paper. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, it is perfect. Yeah. And that's a really good point about memory like I feel that now too thinking I had the exact same conversations with myself like what what would we have called this and I have a few friends that I can text and be like hey man what was this you know would you call that uh guys who are still doing it as contractors and so that's it's fresh info but yeah it's definitely slipping away he wrote this it was published it was published in a uh, journal I don't know if it's still around it's called fiction and it uh published in 1975 it had gone through like the ending has changed a few times too. The one that was published, like the, the name that he calls out at the end in the fiction version is not Penelope, it's father. And it went through another iteration in between father and what appears in the copy that I read, which is from um, 60 stories, his just as collection of short stories. But it also talks to me about like revision. Like this is like you said, Brian, it's the cycle repeats, the cycle repeats over and over and over. And, and, and at one point he says, like he's talking about standing out on the ledge of the barracks. He's either trying to get back in or he's trying to escape, it's unclear. And somebody talks to him from the ground, like, hey, just jump. All you're gonna do is crack your skull. And he's like, I don't wanna crack my skull. Um, and then he yells, and then at the end he says, I either jumped or I didn't. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, like he, he um, 
in some versions he jumps in some versions he doesn't but the same thing repeats you know so it's i mean that seems a little bit of um a stretch to apply to to real life but honestly like dream world is that way it's just like well i can't escape this it's uh it repeats like i i definitely have those dreams where i'm back and i'm like wow my back you know like of course i'm back and and um he says in a, a repeatedly in the story it's like i know i deserve this i'm not even questioning that i deserve this and that's the feeling you know like that's the feeling i have another story that ends with penelope is the odyssey um wow. but that's a different type of story and it's also a story that has resolution and a kind of sensible plot. Yeah, some mm -hmm. people have compared the Odyssey to a kind of dream, a dream of homecoming uh, mm -hmm. that has diversions and you wander in it. But, but this is far more dreamlike. And I remember in the military, I would have a dream about being back in college and needing to go through a course again. And it was the day mm -hmm. of the test. And somehow I was... I hadn't prepared at all for the test, but here it was, and I needed to take the test. And that dream has been replaced in my current mm -hmm. life by being back in the military, and I've been mustered out for some reason, and I'm about to go to war, but I'm out of shape. I'm not, there's mm -hmm. no way that I can I can hang with, you know, 18 and 19 year olds now. I, I would need months to get back in the type of shape that I would need to, to compete in the military. And the story had that feeling, and it, it was also interesting. The other thing that I found interesting was because of course, Barfolme was himself a Korean war veteran. It probably is in a certain sense, his way of uh, understanding that experience and the remorse and regrets that he feels that he'll never uh, outrun or he'll never reconcile. There is no reconciling, which this form seems particularly suited, uh, well suited to explore. Yeah, I guess I'm not a special snowflake. I have the exact same dream as you guys. And it is definitely the showing up to school without your pants dream. It's the, my unit needs me back and I have to go and I have all my gear, but I still have, I haven't shaved and so I'm out of uniform. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm wearing, I have a beard in uniform and that's obviously you can do that now, but you like, and my dream, like the beard is the thing that's keeping, like that I, I'm not up to, I'm not up to snuff. It's interesting how that is the thing that keeps coming back and not combat guys being blown up, people you lost, whatever, like a lot of these things. It's not the, the reoccurrence. And I call it my Iraq dream. And the Iraq dream is definitely a unprepared to go back dream. It's not the actual actions. Although, I mean, the thing about the regret and like, I deserve this. It is a, the word that gets me in this in this the the like the gut wrenching word in this story is weak, because he is one of those situations is he's supposed to shoot a guy wearing a suit and a yeah. red tie and he's like I'm not sure if he's like is he really a soldier I'm I think he's a civilian I shouldn't be shooting him, and he said can't you do it and he says I don't feel up to it sir I feel weak, mm -hmm. and there's just. I don't know, that just like turns my guts there. Like that, like there's the level of recrimination or I don't think guilt is exactly the right word, but at least the, the self-judgment there. Like so, some of these, some of the things in the reoccurring cycle he's in, like with the IG, like with the drill sergeant, it's comical. And some of it is, is very not comical. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that the weakness the weakness didn't hit me as much but now that you bring it out it definitely it also is incorporated in that and in, in not just the dream but just even thinking about it like 
thinking about Iraq or thinking about Afghanistan, it's the, at least for me, there was a significant part of my energy that went into appearing to be prepared and ready. And, and things happened so quickly that it, I think it was impossible to always be prepared and ready for the things that happened. And so I said once that, you know, my memories are going from like the good ones are going to bad and the bad ones are going to worse. And I, I don't want to make this like, I don't want to be a drain on the, uh, or just have you guys worry about me or anything like that. But the thing is like, that's true. Like that is a very true thing. And weakness is a part of that, that the, um, the, the physical weakness that I feel now in like, okay, if I had to do that again, I cannot, like, I can't do that. That's just physically impossible. It parallels some of say either the times I wasn't paying attention or the times I wasn't I don't know. I look back on it and I say, okay, maybe that was not the correct moral decision, or maybe I should have said something else, or you know what I mean? Like these little, like the little, little traps, like and not that I set for myself, but just that now the work is confronting that and thinking, like, okay, you know, it's a it's situational. It's I don't I don't know how to explain it. And honestly, it's just a process of trying to live through it. Writing has a part in that. Mm-hmm. Before we transition over to uh, your collection, which I think this is almost the perfect time to do, I do want to talk a little bit about form because that seems very relevant here. And reading about Barthelme's, uh, both his contribution to the literary canon and his interests, uh, one of the things that jumped out at me and very interesting given the original ending of the Sergeant Father is apparently he had a great relationship with his dad, but his father hated postmodernity and deconstruction. Again, according to Wikipedia, which is both a a strange thing for a father to hate, uh, but I guess if your son is like a living avatar of it, then that's something that you would have a conversation with him about. And I've Mm -hmm. recently been part of a couple conversations about um, pretty specious conversations, to be honest. They're not that important. My hypothetical or my claim is that GWAT is the first definitionally postmodern war in the sense Mm -hmm. that there's no central narrative that really... That, that dominates the conversation. Like if you want to, you can find a narrative that effectively explains GWAT, why it happened, how it happened, the things that were important about it, a narrative that is suitable for every po- political persuasion, for every aesthetic preference versus say Vietnam or World War II or World War I, where there's a kind of, there's a definite explanation for why and how those wars happened. And then there are sort of counter narratives, but those are counter narratives. They're, so these are modernist wars, essentially. And so reading through the sergeant and reading through, and, and I think having those, uh, having the experience of war that, you know, we all had different experiences, but we all had, there were commonalities there in Afghanistan, in Iraq and other places. If, if you can, perhaps po- postmodernism is in fact the best form to explore these wars. Um, that would be, in, unless y'all have uh, specific thoughts or responses to that bold claim, I think the perfect way to transition over to Brian's summary of Bring Out the Dog. Sure, I can do that. I mean, I um, I see lots of Bartholomew influence on your work, Will, and I I would hope you would agree. The I also got... Um, the sergeant out of 60 stories and in the introduction of that the introduction describes Barthelme as 
pleasurable to the eye and ear, but dead accurate, which I would hope you would take that as a compliment if I would say the same thing. Like it's, I have trouble putting down, bring out the dog. Like I just devoured it. Um, but it does, it is, so it's both like, it was enjoyable, but also I would say dead accurate. So yeah, if I'm supposed to do the, the introduction, it's a variety of short stories. I didn't add it up, you know, what is it? 10 or something? Well, yeah, 10 or 11, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 10 or 11. If you, if you're not sure either without counting, then I'll, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> then that's, that's good. Um, you know, stories from Afghanistan and stories from training and at least one story from Iraq. And I guess it's good I get to do the introduction because I have like something I wanted to say, but then I don't know what the question is going to be at the end of this. So when I first started to read some of your work, I think it was the short stories published in like the New Yorker and other places um, like uh, Crossing River No Name. The words I would have used, it's not exactly magical realism is the sense I got. But I mean, surreal is an overused word, but I think that maybe is the right word. Like these images, and they're all about images, images of a guy walking at the bottom of a river, you know, like underwater and somehow walking through that. And the, it's the river, no name. It's, it's, it's a river that's, um, that's literally unnamed or this memorial for a dog, but it's literally raining shit because they're burning the shit buckets and it's raining and you're sitting outside for the memorial. It's not exactly, again, it's not exactly magical, but these, these scenes are, are surreal. But then when I read those stories in the context of the rest of the book and the other stories, I would, instead of using those words, I'd use the word you used before, which is absurd. Mm. Like you, you have these absurd pairings like rib night, which is about, uh, on the one hand, at the chow hall, you know, there's a big celebration and it's rib night and everybody wants, you know, to eat the best food. And on the other, people are, uh, the guys in the unit are stealing sleeping pills from each other to try to forget the airstrike from the night before. Mm-hmm. Or, and then, um, or I guess Baker's Strong Point, which is about training, you know, learning to call in airstrikes and at the same time going to the strip club, which is absurd and yet also uh, an experience that I think actually is like, maybe that's a common military experience for yeah. for many. So I don't know, there's no question at the end of that, except can you just talk about your feelings uh, or you know approach to surrealism or absurdity or what, your, what the goal is on any of that? Well, sure. Um, first of all, thank you very much for the, the comments. I mean, it, it's, it means a lot to hear that from anybody, but to hear it from somebody who's actually lived it, it's always nice. Um, it's always, I mean, it's more than nice. It's just, it's like validating. So thank you. Um, the, the absurdity, I don't, you know, I, I wasn't, I'd say I wasn't aiming for that necessarily. When I started out writing the book, I wanted it to be a very factual account to the point where friends who I was with read it maybe not even friends, just acquaintances, or even maybe people who didn't like me, but everybody would agree, this is, this is what happened, you know? And so I had that ridiculous notion in my head. Um, I think when that notion broke, when I was just unable to do that, what resulted was what, what we're calling absurdity or surrealism or whatever. But for me, it was kind of the glue that made things stick together. So for example, 
crossing the river no man in that story that was that was based on a real situation it wasn't it didn't happen to a guy in my team but it happened to another team the one that was our kind of our sister squadron our back and forth and so I was very familiar with the details very familiar with where it happened there were always like a series of memorials you know there was the one that was downrange there was the one that was at home there was the actual funeral so I went to the one that was at home after I got back and the family members and everything. I mean, it, it was a, it was an event, right? The guy um, was crossing a river, he drowned in the river. Um, did, they didn't, they weren't able to find him for a day or two. And um, so basically in a story there, but, and, and then there was a, right after that deployment where we lost that guy, I fell into an irrigation ditch and I sunk straight to the bottom. Like it was, uh, pretty pretty fast current moving through and it was wide enough that you could kind of stretch a leg across and there was somebody on the other end with their with their arm out and so the way it was working was like guy would like plant a foot in the mud underwater stretch across reach over grab the arm pull up and so what happened to me was I planted my foot and as I reached my my footing gave and I just went right under and there was a moment there where I thought this is it because I'm wearing everything it's heavy it's deep and the current was just dragging me and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get my wits. I couldn't get a, a handle on it. So that the fear of that, and then thinking about the guy that we lost, uh, those were what I left the war with and kind of like, you know, the football game though, was something I thought about repeatedly when I would think about that. It was something that just came up randomly. I didn't know why it was connected. And, and, in the course of trying to write the say nonfiction version of that, uh, that's when that thing kept popping up. Is like, why do I keep thinking about this stupid football game? It was literally, I didn't even play. I just watched it. There was this play that it seemed was miraculous. And I remember as cheesy as it sounds, when the guy ran to the end zone, there was like, you know, those pictures that you see of, it was on my grandfather's memorial, like what we handed out like the sun shining through the clouds onto, onto the church. Like that's what it looked like, but it was shining under the goalpost and he ran in, like spiked the ball and it was, you know, joy and mud filled. So what connected that was that vision of the Virgin Mary being underwater and seeing that. And uh, anyway, I couldn't, like, I don't, I don't know if that's absurd, but for me, that's what, that's what did it. And a lot of people asked me, like the strange thing about that story was, the night it was published, like they, I, I get real edgy. Um, I don't know if I still will, but especially like the first couple stories that came out, real edgy about what the reaction is going to be. So the night before, I don't sleep well, and so I was up. It, it posted at midnight on the website, and it was like I swear to God, like twelve thirty uh, at the latest. Um, and I was on my computer, and an email popped up, and it was from the dude who drowned in the river, his girlfriend, writing to me. And it was a very heartfelt, very kind letter. And she took a religious, like, uh, she took a religious interpretation of the story, which is fine. I mean, I don't, it's not, when I publish it, it's not my story anymore. You know, it just, it's like, okay, whatever people say about it, you know, I try to take bits and pieces of each thing. But that was, I mean, I had never met her in real life. Uh, she looked me up on a website and wrote to me and it would, you know, it was just a nice kind of ending to that. I hope I answered your question. I feel like I was long winded. <laughs> when we talk about 
absurdism or surrealism or postmodernism or modernism for that matter, you know, what we're really talking about is how to tell a story and how to access truth. And there's always a, there is a best way to tell a particular type of story. And I think one of the things we're all wrestling with right now is like you were saying, and, and all of us have some type of background with attempting to represent the thing as accurately as possible. And that started with writing after action reviews, you know, <laughs> it's just like sit reps, you know, it's like we went out on the mission and we saw three guys, but like, then we were shooting at them. We didn't see anybody after that. There was one blood trail. So we think we wounded a dude. I don't know, you know, then the SIGINT said this, that or the other. Um, and then what's the greater truth of that particular encounter? The greater truth of it might've actually been that, you know, the thing you were thinking about was the fact that the platoon sergeant has been arguing with his wife and there was a, a really mean conversation beforehand and the platoon sergeant was you know the one who shot or didn't shoot or whatever else so how you know how do we make sense of this all and um i i certainly felt that i really appreciated you know you're recommending the sergeant because that's not only did it open up a, a beautiful new writer for me but his way of tackling that experience of guilt or remorse deserved guilt deserved remorse which is kind of a religious thing the really you know part of the religious experience of christianity is accepting guilt as saying you know this is something that i have done i admit that i original sin you know this is inextricably tied to me what jumped out at me about you know your stories and the sergeant is that it seems like a very powerful and effective way of conveying the truth of deployment so i don't mean to you know um, diminish, you know, I feel that surrealism and absurdism are both things that have a kind of somewhat not negative connotation. And personally, I've ne I, I'm not a huge fan of postmodernism. And I think that's probably because what we get exposed to oftentimes with surrealism or postmodernism or absurdism is the same stuff or people who don't fully get it. And so a lot of what we read might not be that great. But when you see it clicking, when you see somebody who, you know, a, a real master of that form, Bartholomew certainly is. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, whatever form your, uh, your fiction takes, you are as well, unquestionably. What you want is the appropriate form for the appropriate experience. And journalism, has journalism been the appropriate form for the experience of Afghanistan and Iraq? I don't know, you know, again, because, no single narrative has emerged. The, 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 the excellent reporting by friends of ours and Brian to this day, you know, telling, yeah. saying what happened, publishing what happened in the New York Times. There were chemical weapons in Iraq. And we knew this because apparently we'd sold some of them to the Iraqis. Like, and yet, you know, like, and yet it continued somehow. So any way that we can say, you know, this is, you know, this is a nightmare. Uh, this is a nightmare from which there's no waking up. Um, is, is a useful, a useful exercise. When I was writing The Long Walk, what I always said was I was always trying to get the feeling right. And well, I would say the feeling of losing a friend in a river, feeling like you've been pulled and then having a similar experience. Um, I had a buddy that fell out of a helicopter over the Haditha Dam and got pulled to the bottom uh, in his gear and died. And so like that, that happened to a, a few on that helicopter. Having that experience and the touchdown and the Virgin Mary and all of those things connected, it's getting the feeling right. Like that's how putting all those things together feels like, like they, they're going together in your brain. A mutual friend of all of ours 
uh, Matt Kamatsu, who is a pararescue, combat rescue officer in the Air Force, when his nonfiction is often like four sentences at a time and lots of breaks and it's lots of, it's both what's happening and what he's thinking about that's at the same time and it's all mixed in together. And that's much closer to the lived experience of these things and having these, what seem like disjointed thoughts, but the only way to like capture the experience is to be putting, you know, <laughs> the, the inability to sleep next to the feast at the chow hall, you know, like putting these things together that, you know, that do reflect upon and comment on one another. There was one other thing I wanted to say really quickly about Bring Out the Dog, uh, another collection that it reminded me of. And of course, you know, it reminded me of 60 Stories, the, I think we, we may have all read the same version, but that not only because I had just read it, uh, and it is similar in form and in quality, but also Dennis Johnson's Jesus Son. I'm sure you get that comparison all the time. And so I, I do think it's worth saying that there are, you know, there are, there's a right way and a wrong way to, to tell a story. You can tell because when it's the wrong way, when you read a story and it's the wrong way to, to, to tell that story, it just doesn't land. And you're just sort of dissatisfied. Bring Out the Dog is uh, both thought-provoking and emotionally very challenging and beautiful. And if you're not writing for uh, to achieve those effects, then I don't know why you would bother to write fiction at all. Um, but that's, I guess, just a personal preference. Another thing I wanted to say, which is a little bit random, I suppose, is in going through Barthelme's biography on Wikipedia, I kept looking for like controversy. Like every time I read an older writer, mm -hmm. like I, I figure there's like, there's mm -hmm. usually some section where there's like controversy and, <laughs> and then it turns out something they've said yeah. or done something terrible. And I was so relieved to get to the end of his, uh, his Wikipedia page, it's like no controversy. So it's like, okay, I can, I can, I can like this guy. That's, that's great. I don't have to feel- He's sort clean. Of He's clean. <laughs> yeah. Someone you could finally like hang your head on. Yeah, I mean, really like the, um, thank you too for the compliments. I mean, like the, Dennis Johnson is, was definitely an influence, um, emergency and just that entire collection. I mean, reading, I loved his dialogue. I liked the, the imagery was amazing. Uh, the way he described, you know, his veins being scraped out. I, I, I feel like there are a few things that I, I reach for myself and that's one of them that I don't want to repeat because it would be obvious but there are like okay now I need something here that's kind of like my veins are scraped out you know is is to being uh on drugs you know and, and try to cre recreate that incredible metaphor but in a different form another point that uh that you brought up about the, the postmodern war I think that was brilliant because it that's exactly what it was like every deployment was different the goals of every deployment of course were different and it wasn't just like a, a, a little shift different it was radically different the roe would be different the uh who we were going after were different those that that we were aligned with and the ones that we weren't our sources where they came from completely different you know and so um and and not only that but the day cycle i forget it's uh, god maybe brian you remember this it was like there was an acronym for it analyze, exploit, I forget what it is. It's like three E-A-F-E or something like that, but it was. It is, it is E-A-D-D -E uh, something. Exploit, analyze, something, something. Something, defeat, <laughs> decide. See, here's where the, here's where. The and then there's three at the end too, right? I'll, yes. I'll look it up, I'll look it up. You keep. 
Okay, cool. F3EA. F3EA, is that it? Find, fix, analyze, exploit. Find, fix, exploit, analyze. F3EA? I don't know. But it was, well, my point is that it was a cycle and it was a daily thing that happened and it would reset. And so sometimes the next day would build on what had happened the day before. Sometimes it would just come out of left field. Like, no, this is a different one. We had this part laid up over here. This is who we're dealing with. People who may have been our friends last time, but now aren't, you know? And so it's, um, it was very absurd in its, I think, execution and its conception. I don't doubt that we were trying to do the right thing. You know, you guys probably heard about great American theory, right? Like everybody, no matter how stupid it sounds, like the guys that you're working with are trying to do the right thing, right? They are, they are, assume that everyone is a great American, that they take their oath seriously, that they are working to achieve whatever the goal is, often in the absence of knowing what the goal is. So you just have to go on faith on, on the great American theory. And that's often what I, I remember hearing that. I, from a CEO of ours, and then it was just adopted by other guys. Find, fix, finish, exploit, analyze, disseminate. There you go. Yeah, F3EAD. There you go. So that, that was I, it. That was the postmodern uh, acronym for the GY. I mean, the, the fact that you couldn't remember because there was a different version of it, I probably taught a different version of it that there's some of those details that have leaked out of my brain to th change things slightly i did want to ask one more question like creative choice question on and maybe you've already you kind of already addressed this by saying some of these stories started as nonfiction and then just kind of required a fictional conflation and combination of things and i so i wanted to ask about your choice of protagonist so the most boring question ever for a fiction writer is who are you in the story, right? So I'm not gonna ask the most boring question ever. But at the same time, the narrator is often a joint terminal air controller, which is what you did, or most often that. And so I guess, I mean, that that's a choice. If you were a neurosurgeon that wrote a collection of short stories about a hospital and every story was about came from the perspective of the neurosurgeon and not from the orthopedic surgeon or the nurse or the physician or the patient for that matter, that's a choice. Can you talk about that choice? Was it conscious, unconscious? No, great question. It was absolutely conscious because uh, the way the dynamic of the team was, it was very hierarchical, right? So if there was a hierarchy even among the SEALs, the uh, the trident wearers, right? There were the ones that had graduated a certain school and then there were others who did not. And there were the guys that were just there to augment. And then from under that, you know, you had, uh, I think it was on day one, I went through like the selection thing and it was run by uh, senior enlisted SEALs. Some of one was active duty, the other guys were all contractors, but they'd all had recent experience and they broke it down for us. They're like, okay, here's the pecking order. You know, this is where you find where you fit and don't deviate from that, you know? And so for me as a JTAC, I forget where it was on there, but I felt like too often when I was writing a story, I thought, okay, if I made myself or the narrator a seal, that would be so much easier. Like I could, I could make this, I, I wouldn't have to explain this control. I wouldn't have to explain, you know, whatever, but um, because I started as nonfiction, I stuck to my role and that just translated. It was just at the, by the point I was in the story, when I started throwing in the absurdities, it was too late to change that. 
Yeah, the pecking order is interesting. I used to say about the Air Force, like if you're not air crew, it's like you're not even in the Air Force to begin with. But then if you're flying cargo, you're not flying bombers. And if you're not flying bombers, you're not flying jets. And if you're flying jets, but there's two seats, not one seat, and two engines and not one engine. And by the time you get down to it, there's only like three cool fighter pilots in the entire Air Force. Um, and so I would think it would be the same on the teams. It, so is that cha- like now that you're really and truly six and seven years free of it and the stuff you're writing now, do you feel broken out of that pecking order? I do. I feel broken out of the pecking order, but I still I still think about it in like I think about a mission in JTAC terms. So to think about it to, as a door kicker, I think would be artificial. Like I would have to get all that information for someone who actually did. like I want to feel the stories, the, the things that launched them for me are very visceral. Like if I will when I sit and think about it, I actually I will sweat sometimes, you know, when I and I will my heart rate will increase. Like I, I have a physical reaction to these things. I mean, I, I guess it's auto fiction. I don't know, but um, there are things that I'm working on now that, that create the same feeling, but aren't war related. So I think there, there, there's hope for me. <laughs> but yeah, like it started as that though. It started as a very like kind of myopic, like I cannot, I cannot misrepresent myself and expect everyone to believe what I'm saying is true. You know, like that that ridiculous notion I had at the beginning. Um, and that's really why it played out that way. And then I, really over time, I just became more comfortable with it because like it does kind of fuse a lot of things together. And I can talk about my experience flying. I could talk about, you know, the experience on the ground. I could talk um, about like some of the other you know, silly things I did before the war as a, as, you know, on my shore tours is what the Navy calls my rotations, things like that can factor into it. So I, I appreciate now that I can kind of expand the horizons a little bit and still have some, you know, some kernel of truth. Well, if I had to pick a narrator, an ideal narrator for any particular story, uh, when it came to you know the infantry or combat, it would be the JTAC or the FSO or the FO or something like that because they're observing, because they're noticing and sort of being aware in a way that others aren't. And I, the idea of a, a door like the the story from the door kicker's perspective, probably not very interesting, you know, not very reflective. Although a reflective door kicker yeah. would be like, God, that's what a hellish character that is. What a depressed and like neurotic. Okay. <laughs> yeah be time for me to stop writing i'm like you got it man go <laughs> is that a good place to stop we've been talking for a good piece now we've either just gotten started or that's a good place to stop so probably a good place to stop i would say it feels it feels good i mean that that was fun and we we got to do this again sometime when uh brian when you're when your next book is out well when yours when your next book is out and when i self-publish my own <laughs> Next book. Yeah, or, or when you get elected to Congress, hopefully that'll right. happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if it's still around. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. All right, gents. <laughs>